Welcome to another episode of Strictly Business, the podcast where you'll hear from some of the brightest minds in media today. I'm Variety Co-Editor-in-Chief Andrew Wallenstein. Game of Thrones begins its final season April 14th, marking the end of television's reigning hit. Of course, HBO is hoping to make this its buzziest season yet and expand on its already massive audience. And to that, the network will turn to our guest today, Chris Spottaccini, Executive VP and Head of Marketing at HBO. He joined me on stage at Variety Entertainment Marketing Summit just a few weeks ago. We're kicking it off right with a show, I don't know, have you, a show of hands, who's heard of this game of throne? Okay, we got a few, we got a few. No, obviously, huge suspense. I mean, to give you a sense of how big the appeal for the show is, I'm going to embarrass someone in the room, not going to say their name, that I didn't know, handed me a note before this panel and said, Chris will spill GOT secrets when you <laughs> pound him. <laughs> So, I mean, we're going to get into it now. I hope you're ready you're, for this. You're going to be out of luck because ah. uh, I, I, I actually don't even really know what's going to happen. And maybe that's me being really bad at my job. But, like, I had an opportunity pretty early on in the, you know, when they were in production to read the scripts. And I, I, I just, I don't think I trust myself. You know, a couple of drinks at a cocktail party and, you like, you know, know it's, it's out. So I have some ideas, but there, okay. there will be no beans spilled. Good to hear. So... I should also preface by saying that I'm not a watcher of the show. Oh, shame. I, I, shame. I, I just want to be, in case you'd see like an eye glaze. He doesn't even know what that means. Talks details of yeah. Westeros. I don't know. So, but they need an objective journalist. So they, you know, they called me in here. The thing is, it's interesting when you're thinking about a show this big and we're talking about marketing. The first question that comes to mind is really... What is even the point of marketing something at this point? It's this big. It's going out. Isn't the audience there? Isn't it that simple? You know, it's a, it's funny you say that because we could probably um, do absolutely nothing uh, and shatter every uh, ratings record in the book. You know, I think uh, one tweet with April fourteenth would probably probably do it. But at the same time, we feel an enormous responsibility to to commemorate what's arguably one of the greatest TV shows ever made uh, that has, you know, cemented its place in, in, in popular culture. Um, Game of Thrones is, um, it's that rare show that builds every single season. We're up to 33 million viewers a week um, last season. Um, social buzz has, has climbed every, every single season. And, um, you know, our objectives are... are for the show are a lot more than about ratings. I mean, we, we see, it's kind of the tide that lifts all boats. We see massive subscriber lifts, um, brand attributes spike, not surprisingly. Um, and we gain cu- cultural relevance across, across the globe. And Game of Thrones is, in a, you know, in a world of on-demand viewing where people are watching on their own schedules, it, it really is one of the last remaining monocultural events where I get the feeling that the world will be watching in real time because they don't want to be left out. So in that respect, it's more akin to uh, you know, a, a World Cup than, than just a TV show. Um, so the goal, I guess, is to celebrate its place in popular culture as um, you know, uh, one, of the, one of the best shows ever made, and also as a thank you to the fans who've devoted so much of their, their lives um, to the past eight seasons. But is the marketing also informed by the fact that as huge as the show unquestionably is, 
There's been quite a layover since we've seen episodes last. Is marketing wet appetites all over again? Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. It's been, uh, you know, we, we kind of took last year off. It's been about 18 months since that, that wall came crashing down and, and, you know, the army of the dead is on the march. Um, so, you know, Game of Thrones is, isn't always on brand. Um, it, the, the realm never sleeps, as we like to say. Um, so we are constantly engaging with our fan base um, throughout the year, kind of tapping into cultural moments, doing catch-up stunts whenever we can. Um, and we also have a, we can talk later, we've got a bunch of like kind of always-on licensing programs with product introductions into the market. Well, I, I'd say Thrones popped back on the radar in a big way during the Super Bowl with that really interesting, really uh, counterintuitive ad you guys did in partnership with Bud Light. Yeah. Where I think most people didn't realize when that thing started playing that it was a Game of Thrones campaign. So I'm just curious to understand the strategic rationale of a pretty innovative approach. Yeah, I mean, that, that, your reaction was, was kind of the goal. You know, the Super Bowl offers uh, an advertiser massive amounts of reach. Um, and in an, in an OTT market where um, brands are increasingly being defined by uh, high-profile you know, high tentpole programming, the Super Bowl is the perfect place to kind of plant, plant your flag and make a big brand statement. Um, and over the past couple of years, we've noticed that there has been an increase in, um, you know, uh, TV advertisers, streaming services, advertising in the game. We ourselves uh, last year ran a spot for Westworld. Uh, it was our first in 20 years. So, you know, there is a little bit of bragging rights at, at stake. And um, but there's a lot of risk attached to it, too. Right. Ten million dollars uh, for a 60 second spot. Uh, the risks are very high, and it's pretty hard to justify, you know, your return on in, on investment there. Um, so we could have just dropped a trailer during the during the big game, but you know, why would we spend ten million dollars to do that when we could just put it out on on social networks, and within the first twenty four hours, we got eighty million views. So um, we kind of felt like uh, it'd be the goal was really to do something very disruptive to surprise and delight our fans. And to do it with somebody else's money. That, that was kind of that always like, yeah, it was kind of my it was kind of my goal. So just kind of going back to our, our, our kind of for the throne platform, it was the first big test and we we challenged ourselves like, okay, what would brand what would a brand do for the throne? It wouldn't wouldn't the ultimate sacrifice be to get a big blue chip advertiser to sacrifice their Super Bowl commercial uh, to to pay homage to the to the throne, and um, Game of Thrones is a show, as you, many of you know, that's kind of known for killing off its beloved characters in shocking, unexpected ways. So, uh, if we were able to get a brand to kill off one of their mascots on TV's biggest stage, it, it would be the ultimate holy shit, like OMG moment. Um, and and we thought about you know who who might be a good candidate, and uh, the answer, I think, was pretty simple. A, couple, a year ago, they, Bud Light uh, launched their kind of men in tights, dilly-dilly campaign, which uh, they were on record saying was very much inspired by Game of Thrones, and they were clearly trading on our, our cultural relevance. And on the last year's Super Bowl, they introduced this character of the Bud Knight. So, you know, we kind of looked at ourselves and we were like, all right, the Bud Knight's got to die. You know, that's, <laughs> it, 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 it's over for him. So we came up with this crazy 
um, this crazy idea, for those of you who haven't seen the spot very quickly, starts out in a uh, medieval, the, the Dilly Dilly universe. Uh, there's a joust, the king's there, the queen's there, the Bud Knight is up on his horse, um, and as he's charging towards his opponent, uh, he gets very violently knocked off his horse. And at that moment, the tone of the spot changes, and you're not in the bright, shiny world of Bud Light. You're in the world of Game of Thrones, and it's darker, and it's moody, and it's ominous, and standing over the fallen uh, Bud Knight is the mountain. Uh, and then all hell breaks loose, and the dragons come and torch the whole thing, and Game of Thrones slams in, and everyone's like, what the fuck just happened? So... Um, so yeah, so uh, we created probably uh, a ton more conversation than we could have with just a regular Game of Thrones ad. And Bud Light wasn't the only brand partnership you guys did. Talk about some of the others and, and the why of it all, because brand partnerships are just such an interesting animal, bringing together two very different things and hoping one plus one equals three. Yeah, I mean, especially for us, because HBO is a non-advertiser-supported network, uh, as you know. Um, you know, we like to let the storytelling be pure, and we are commercial-free. So we'll only really do a brand partnership if it's, pu- if it's very, very organic to the show. So, you know, for example, Boardwalk Empire, we had a big whiskey partnership with, with Jim Beam. Um, but Game of Thrones kind of breaks all the rules, because it is such a cultural phenomenon that um, brands are going to... Brands are going to be out there culture jacking Game of Thrones regardless of what we do. We see it all the time. Um, they're out there creating Game of Thrones memes. They're jumping on our hashtag. Um, and so that was going to happen anyway. So why not just embrace it and celebrate it and bring the brands in and see what we can do, uh, what we can do together. I mean, every year, never the, the random list of brands that, that comment on our posts. It's like everyone from Wendy's to Charmin to Hulu and, uh, this year, even Brand Trump got in on, on the action. I don't That's know, right. I don't know if you noticed that. but uh, I think I heard about that. Yeah. So that well, was... What never, is the HBO attitude towards something like that? Yeah, it was weird. I never thought I would be in a Twitter spat with the, with the president. But uh, for those of you that, that missed this a few months ago, um, uh, the president declared uh, that sanctions are coming. Uh, and tw- tweet and tweeted tweeted out a Game of Thrones meme, with, of course, a giant poster of him uh, with sanctions. Sanctions are coming in, in Game of Thrones typeface. So, um, you know, our attitude was uh, we don't really like our IP to be used for political purposes. Um, at the same time, we didn't want to pick a fight with the president by any means. So, uh, I give my social team a lot of credit because they had a very snarky little subtweet that said, uh, "How do you say trademark infringement in Dothraki?" <laughs> and uh, and that got a lot of a lot of press coverage. So anyway, back to your back to your question. Um, brands are you know brands are brands are part of our influencer strategy. You know they're fans of the show, and, and we like to embrace that. So we've got a bunch of partnerships rolling out. Um, some are promotional, some are licensed goods. Um, I got my uh, House Stark Adidas Ultra Boosts on on sale tomorrow. So Adidas is oh my god. I mean, sorry, shameless plug. Um, they're pretty cool, though. They are cool. I don't know what they say about House Stark, but I like them. Anyway, so um, uh, we have Adidas partnership. We have uh, uh, Johnny Walker has a uh, limited uh, white, uh, white Walker uh, whiskey. Um, Oreo, of all brands, is rolling out some Game of Thrones cookies. And um, uh, Major League Baseball is going to be doing some promotions in all their stadiums this season. And you guys were also active on the ground in South By. Yeah. Um, doing some experiential stuff. I mean, that seems like it's also a kind of uh, weapon in the marketing arsenal that 
no great piece of programming needs to go without. Yeah, South by is, look, South by is crazy. We love South by because it's a great opportunity to reach media and technology influencers. Uh, the timing usually lines up with uh, our big second quarter event where we usually have a big tent pole. Um, but it is, it's kind of like brand soup these days. Like it is really, really hard to stand out. The barrier to entry is really high. I mean, I think we're partly responsible for that because last year we had this crazy idea for Westworld to recreate the town of Sweetwater. So we literally took over this old mining town about 20 miles outside of Austin and dressed it as Westworld, um, staged it with over 60 actors, wrote a 450-page script, and it was this totally immersive experience that was ironically very low-tech for a high-tech conference. Um, Anyway, so that generated a ton of buzz. And and this year, when we thought about, okay, Game of Thrones, what do we want to do there? Yes, we want something that's immersive and interactive that the fans will love, but we also saw an opportunity to maybe leverage the campaign as a a force for, for good. Um, could we do something that was pro-social to sort of give back a little bit? And so we partnered um, with, the, uh, with the American Red Cross. Um, again, part of our For the Throne campaign, we, we asked ourselves, okay, what, what would fans do for the throne? What would they, what ultimate sacrifice would they make? Could we get them to bleed for the throne? Um, and so, yeah, we don't have an awareness problem for Game of Thrones, but, but there is a global blood shortage. So the Red Cross was a great partner uh, we launched a, uh, a blood drive at South by Southwest. Uh, it was also scaled nationally to 43 states. Um, we raised 80,000 units of blood. Um, and so, you know, my team, when they were pitching this to me, they were, they were kind of saying, like, look, the, the success metrics for this are not about uh, impressions. It's about, it's about lives saved. So, so, yeah, so we had a really great um, experience on the ground, um, did a lot of really good things for the Red Cross, uh, but also had a very immersive experience for non-donors. You didn't have to donate. We also created a world where you could kind of um, go out onto the battlefield and interact with wildlings and members of the Night's Watch and Dothraki soldiers. And so, um, you know, they got a real... I think the fans got a real treat out of that experience. Um, and, I, and look, it's hard to do these things well. Uh, it's very easy to just have a free-for-all with free booze and free drinks. But we take these things very seriously. And when, if we're going to do it, we want there to be a real narrative reason for it. Uh, and so this season, I can explain to you, um, uh, we're preparing uh, for the Great War. The Great War Against the Dead is finally here. Uh, and so we asked people to take a pledge for the throne uh, and join the army of the living to fight for the dead. And so in a narrative respect, that kind of marries well with the Red Cross's mission in terms of, like, saving lives. So it all, it all worked out really well. When you're describing the scale of what you attempted on the ground in Austin and just everything you're talking about here, it feels to me like the marketing for a marquee show, I mean... I'm not, you're not, I'm not asking for dollar figures here, but it's almost like a series production cost in and of itself. Is, is that like table stakes now in this peak TV era where if you're going to stand out from the crowd, you've got to really pay up big? I mean, look, I think smart ideas will always rise to the surface, and smart ideas don't always have to cost a lot of money, but it certainly helps if you have a lot of money. Um, and there is such a ferocious competition for attention uh, and for branding in this world that, that you do need to sometimes make that big investment and that big bet. You can't do it on every show, but on the shows that are going to really drive your business, the shows that are going to define your brand, I think it's worth it. Now, for Game of Thrones, you know, 
I'm not going to tell you how much we spent, but it's not as much as you think because so much of what we did was trading on um, kind of other brands coming to the table and, and sort of bringing money to the table. And so that made it much more efficient for us. But certainly last year when we were, um, you know, we had Westworld in market, it, yeah, it, it, we had some skin in the game. Another low-cost but efficient marketing method is social media, where I almost feel like Thrones kind of set the bar, excuse me, for a long time ago, uh, about leveraging you know, the Twitter and Facebooks of the world to get the word out without necessarily spending millions of dollars on, say, a 30-second spot. Yeah. Um, has that continued straight through to this last season? Absolutely. Uh, you know, we have the benefit of having a massive army of fans. Uh, we're 35 million social connections. Um, and even when we launched the series, we had a built-in fan base from the book. So that certainly gives you a huge running start. But at the same time, this is a particular breed of, of, fran- of fan. I mean, they are, every day is Comic-Con when you're a Game of Thrones fan. I mean, I've seen uh, the, just the craziest shit. I mean, people have, like, given themselves, like, dragon tattoos. I've seen at least five... Um, marriage proposals on the throne when we've done these promotional events. Um, they really pull out, pull out all the stops. Um, but, you know, everything is based on, that we do in social media is based on, a, on that fan insight. Like, we need to think like them. We need to behave like them if we want them to co-sign what we're doing um, authentically. But it's, a, it's a, a magical thing when you can have a call and response type of uh, relationship with your fan and you can sort of ask them to do something and then you actually see it happen no matter how much of an investment in time you're asking for. So we a couple of things I just wanted to mention that we're doing which I thought was were particularly fun this year with fans. Um, two programs. One is called Create for the Throne where um, you know we launched a a fan anthem, a fanthem, if you will, video highlighting a lot of the great fan art and a lot of the work that's been created by our fans, really shining a light back on them. Um, Kind of like taking a page from Apple's, you know, shot on iPhone six video, where you know we're we're showcasing their work. We're actually like not only in digital media but also on billboards. Um, and so our Create for the Throne program took eighteen props from the show and put them in the hands of eighteen artists who are also fans around the world and asked them to uh, kind of create their own inspiration based on that particular prop. And then we're showcasing it in, in social media. Uh, and then we just recently launched another promotional program globally again uh, called Quest for the Throne, where we dropped six thrones in completely random remote locations around the globe uh, and asked fans to go on a quest to find them uh, for bragging rights to be the first one. The only thing they had to go on was just very, very obtuse clues that we dropped on Twitter uh, and videos. And uh, the the first one was just found after 48 hours. A couple of neurology students from Oxford found it. Um, of course, neurology students from Oxford. Um, but uh, just the fact that someone would be willing to do that shows you the, the passion and the spirit uh, that these fans have. And it's, it's, we're really blessed to have that. I don't, I don't know that we'll ever have something like that again. And you mentioned Oxford, and it is a reminder that Thrones is not just some American phenomenon. It's very global. So marketing-wise, is there a lot of coordination with uh, international outposts of HBO to make this happen? I mean, it sounds like quite an ordeal. Yeah, I mean, in the, you know, in the studio world, I mean, going to market globally and, 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 and certainly even Netflix, how they go to market is 
uh, it's always structured that way. But for us, we've always been um, a kind of domestically focused business. And while we do have a huge reach, we're distributed in over 150 countries and we do have owned and operated networks, it's been somewhat decentralized. But Game of Thrones is a global phenomenon and Game of Thrones, the same as it drives our business, it drives our partner's business. So we do go to market with one voice. Um, and we, you know, when we were planning this campaign, we always thought about, okay, what can we do with our, uh, with our other divisions across the globe? And um, how can we make sure that when we're dropping an asset, we're doing it at the same time so you get a multiplier effect? Mm-hmm. And I'm curious now, as you approach the end, is there a marketing plan even when it's over? I mean, I know there are spinoffs, but uh, are you not done, basically, I guess is what I'm asking. I mean, look, there's going to be a mourning period for sure. I mean, I don't know <laughs> to fill to fill the void uh, for Game of Thrones, and we certainly are very confident in our our lineup for the rest of the year. Um, but Game of Thrones does hold a very special place in people's hearts. Um, it is it is a franchise, though, and we hope that that franchise. Uh, will live on for years to come. Uh, we hope that there will be new viewers that come in as new viewers subscribe to HBO. New viewers will be indoctrinated into the world of Game of Thrones. And we're going to do our best to try to take a page out of the, uh, you know, the Harry Potter playbook and, and try to really monetize this, 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 fan, this franchise um, and keep it alive in, in years to come. We've got a lot of interesting, not only licensing programs, but experiential programs. We've got concert tours. We've got touring museum exhibitions. Um, we're actually using the sets, uh, a lot of the sets in, in Northern Ireland and around the world, and converting them into um, you know, theme park-type attractions. Um, so you know, we really do think this can have a, a, a life after the final episode. And uh, details are scant on the, on, the, on the prequel, but again, we hope to bridge to, um, to whatever that ends up being. I mean, when you look back on the run of this show, uh, cl- clearly it has its place in television history. I'm curious if you think that's the case as well from a marketing perspective, because it does seem like sort of the promotional power HBO put behind this is not like anything TV has ever seen. Uh, that's kind of you to say. I mean, I'm I'm not going to like toot my own horn, but I'm I'm incredibly proud of like what we've done. Um, I like to believe that Game of Thrones wouldn't be what it is if we hadn't at least um, kind of lit the kindling, right, and, and, and started to get that uh, effect going in the market and to get people to think about the show, um, care about the show, create, share, um, all of that um, activity certainly sparks conversation, and it's what made Game of Thrones is today in terms of being a real part of the cultural fabric um, of the entertainment landscape. So, you know, I do think marketing plays a role in that in terms of stoking the fan base and stoking conversation. Um, Certainly the spikes that we see every week uh, are not an accident. It's not just organic about, you know, some big moment in the show. It's things that we're asking the fans to do, questions we're posing to them. So we do play a role, but I certainly would not take credit for um, the success of the show. Well, I think what may get some credit as well is I think there's something to just the genre that Game of Thrones operates in, this fantasy, adventure, action kind of thing. Are those kind of shows conducive to just 
fun, interesting, big marketing campaigns? Yeah, I mean, they definitely uh, lend themselves to a lot of promotional extensions, certainly when you compare them to some of our other more prestige dramas like Chernobyl. You know, we're not... That doesn't scream marketing we're not, we're not, we're, we're, not blow, we're not blowing that one out with uh, promotional so partnerships. So to speak, yeah. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, look, it's, it's a big, epic, rich tapestry to play off of. You have a built-in fan base, and, and you've seen a lot of our competitors out there talking about trying to find their Game of Thrones. Because, again, when you have a show like that, it can really not only define the brand, keep subscribers tethered to the, to the service for you know five, six, seven years, um, and, the, and that genre does play really well globally. Um, you know, and probably only a handful of our shows, I think, um, are priorities for the rest of HBO international distributors, um, Game of Thrones certainly being one of them. Um, but what plays best in those markets is often local content, locally produced content. We see that ourselves. But game, again, I think there's something about the universal language of fantasy um, and action and things that are escapist and have scale and, and at their core, really, Game of Thrones is a human drama. And I think a lot of these fantasy shows, fantasy is the backdrop, but what keeps you watching is just your emotional connection to the, to the, to the characters. Um, and to bring it back to For the Throne, that's kind of what we were, that's what we were aiming for. You know, we, we were like, how can we, what is, the, what is the hook, what is the creative platform that will tie a ribbon around eight years uh, of this show but also would be flexible enough to kind of translate to local markets across the globe. And, and the insight that is rooted in it, it really does come back to that human truth. And the show is about devotion and it's about sacrifice, whether you're a character or whether you're a fan. Hmm. And does this become the kind of show where as you work on your who knows how many other HBO shows, you know, there's, there's sort of the, the Game of Thrones playbook and you look back on that one and borrow some tricks for various shows or is it, this is something that kind of stands on its own. It's so unique. You can't really apply it to this or that. Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, maybe there's some kind of learnings, but for the most part, it's a very bespoke process. Like, you know, we're not going to, um, for another show, we're not going to do a massive reveal of the premiere date on Facebook Live by melting a giant block of ice through like tweets. You know what I mean? Like it's just this really happened, by the which way, which actually yeah. did happen. Not not my, not my proudest moment, but it was like it was one of the more kind of like fun risks that we that we took with the show. So so yeah, so I don't I don't know that we necessarily have a, have a Game of Thrones playbook. Uh, but I think with every one of these big tent poles, I think we learned something and we can apply it to future shows. Well, looking forward to seeing the reception for this show, which I'm sure will be humongous. And uh, thanks for coming and telling us about Thank it. Thank you. Thanks, Annie. All right. This has been another episode of Strictly Business. Tune in next week for another helping of scintillating conversation with media movers and shakers. 